land, an endless dark sky still untouched by dawn, and below it dark woods rolling into the night. In the distance, the half-ruined city stained the horizon. The magic was in full swing. We were lucky it hadn't taken out the phone lines. And the distant industrial-strength fay lanterns glowed like tiny blue stars among the crumbling buildings. A ward shielded the window, and when the moonlight hit it just right, the entire scene shimmered with pale silver, as if hidden behind a translucent gauzy curtain. The female voice came back online. Consort? Yes. He put me on hold. So he calls because it's urgent and puts you on hold? Yes. Jackass. Should I hang up? she asked. No, it's okay. I'll hold. The world's pulse skipped a beat. The ward guarding the window vanished. Something buzzed in the wall, and the electric floor lamp on the left blinked and snapped into life, illuminating the night table with a warm yellow glow. I reached over and turned it off. In the distance, the blue fay lantern stars winked out of existence. For a breath, the city was dark. A bright flash sparked with white among the ruins, blossoming into an explosion of light and fire. A moment later, a thunderclap rolled through the night, probably a transformer exploding after the magic wave receded. A weak red glow illuminated the horizon. You'd think it was the sunrise, but the last time I had checked, the sun rose in the east, not the southwest. I squinted at the red light. Yep, Atlanta was burning. Again. Magic had drained from the world, and technology had once again gained the upper hand. People called it the post-shift resonance. Magic came and went as it pleased, flooding the world like a tsunami, dragging bizarre monsters into our reality, stalling engines, jamming guns, eating tall buildings, and vanishing again without warning. Nobody knew when it would assault us or how long each wave would last. Eventually, magic would win this war. But for now, technology was putting up a hell of a fight. And we were stuck in the middle of the chaos, struggling to rebuild a half-ruined world according to new rules. The phone clicked and Parker's baritone filled my ear. Good morning, Ms. Daniels. I'm calling to inform you that Julie has left our premises. Not again. Curran's arms closed around me, and he hugged me to him. I leaned back against him. How? She mailed herself. I'm sorry? Parker cleared his throat. As you know, all of our students are required to perform two hours of school service a day. Julie worked in the mail room. We viewed it as the best location because she was under near constant supervision and had no opportunities to leave the building. Apparently, she obtained a large crate, falsified a shipping label, and mailed herself inside it. Curran chuckled into my ear. I turned and bumped my head against his chest a few times. It was the nearest hard surface. 
We found the crate near the ley line. Well, at least she was smart enough to get out of the crate before it was pushed into the magic current. With my luck, she'd end up getting shipped to Cape Horn. She'll come back here, I said. I'll bring her back in a couple of days. Parker pronounced the words very carefully. That won't be necessary. What do you mean, not necessary? He sighed. Ms. Daniels, we are educators. We are not prison guards. In the past school year, Julie has run away three times. She's a very intelligent child, very inventive, and it's painfully obvious that she doesn't want to be here.